You're listening to Run Chat Live podcast, putting the evidence back into running injury and performance. Hey people, how you doing? Welcome to Run Chat Live podcast. Wow, it's been a while since I've said Run Chat Live podcast and it feels good. Um, so in case you haven't heard my voice before, this is Matt Phillips, creator of Run Chat Live. Um, and for the last kind of two years, I have been doing the Sports Therapy Association podcast because after the, the Run Chat Live conference of 2020, I figured if I really want to make a difference in this world, it suddenly clicked. I thought I'm going to teach the therapist directly and then they can help and educate all the runners they see every week that way every therapist let's say 50 runners coming through the door a week I'm going to reach far more runners than trying to sometimes bang my head against the wall and get runners to actually come and listen to Run Chat Live podcast because we all know runners 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 are scared of therapists runners don't trust us um, and we've talked a lot about this on the Sports Therapy Association podcast we've given them so many different versions of how to fix their ITB which haven't worked or have worked for half of them, that they really don't trust us anymore. Um, so Run Chat Live was created to try and bring therapists and runners together with the same language. That's what it's all about. So if you um, don't know anything about the podcast, it started way, way back in September 2018. Just me in a clinic on a Sunday doing the Sunday shift. Um, a few people were doing some Facebook Lives and I eventually thought, oh, OK, OK, I will do it then. And 250 downloads or something me talking about my time in in Nairobi in Kenya setting up a gate analysis clinic and then it, it, it kind of got much much bigger and it was great um, and suddenly I found myself talking to people like Dr Ben O'Nig godfather of running research Matt Fitzgerald one of my favorite um endurance coaches and authors um Dr Izzy Moore was a pleasure as well huge name in research Simon Bartol Derek Griffin Greg Lehman Christopher Johnson um, J.F. Escoulier, Manuela Bessomi, we've done versions in Spanish. And indeed, the two conferences I put on, the second one was with a simultaneous translation in the Spanish. So I did do and have done an awful lot with Run Chat Live, which is why I kind of took here and there about a couple of years off to concentrate on, on getting through to sports therapists and all soft tissue therapists. But, 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 we're back. And what stimulated me was um, gait analysis. It's changed so much over the years. And I get questions from sports therapists thinking, should I be doing gait analysis? Do I need to spend thousands of pounds on a treadmill, which is slatted and this and that? And do I need to get this? So that together with the course that I'm putting on as well um, in May, details you can get all at runchatlife.com. I thought, let's do a series of episodes about gait analysis. What is it? What isn't it? Can we still prescribe shoes? And all these sort of things, which for some of you, hopefully you'll be on the same page if you're a regular listener. For others, I'm hoping out of the 3000 downloads or so, it's new. That's the idea. My biggest fear in life is just being in an echo chamber and talking to people who are going, yes, Matt. Yes, that's true. Thank you very much for, my, for, for ticking my confirmation bias. So if you are listening to the podcast, then then magnificent. Um, I really hope you don't know me and you don't know anything about Unchat Life. That is my goal. So, yeah, what we're going to be doing between now and, well, January, February, March, we're going to have, um, actually, I've just discovered it's going to be four um, fantastic, highly respected researchers and practitioners who work with runners um, from across the globe. Um, we're starting off tonight, I'm so excited, he's waiting there patiently in the lobby whilst I do my little introductions. We're going to be starting off with Dr. Max, Max Paquette, um, who's the Associate Professor of the University of Memphis Human Performance Centre, say that in one breath and also director of the Mus uh, Musculoskeletal Analysis Laboratory. I'm a massive name, someone I've followed for ages. Um, I'm really excited that he's introducing the whole um, series we're gonna do on gait analysis. I'm really looking forward to speaking to him. But we are also then gonna move on, uh, just to remind me, um, yeah, look, we've got uh, Jeff Escoulia, who a lot of you are familiar with the show will know from Canada, um, from the running clinic. He's going to be coming along. Dr. Alison Gruber, who I'm very excited to chat to, is gonna be coming as well. And I've just got off the email with Dr. Izzy Moore. Um, who is either just off maternity leave or just come to the end of it. And uh, Izzy has kindly said that she as well is going to step in and have a chat with us about um, the do's and don'ts of gait analysis. So it's going to be, well, unbiased, obviously. I, I've got the joy of being able to select the speakers I want on the show. Is that confirmation bias? Not really. I try and put, you know, the, the, the most well 
learned and the most evidence-informed people I can find out there. So it's not me. It's These are just people who follow the evidence, which is what One Check Live is all about, putting the evidence back into running injury and performance. So um, it is being recorded live. All the sessions are recorded live. If you want to join us live and ask uh, my guests questions directly, then all you've got to do is go along to the One Check Live YouTube channel and um, you can just click on the remind button and it will flash up and then you just come along. And if you do join us, then you can come into the um, live recording and you can ask questions directly to me and to the speaker. So, right, I think I have left them down there long enough. Um, nothing else I need to say. No, that's it. If you do want to come live next time and join me for what will be um, an hour with, uh, who did I say was next? Um, Dr. J.F. Esculia from Canada in the Running Clinic. Um, then go to One Chat Live or go to follow me on social media and you'll see loads and loads of posts about when these people are coming up. Right, I've listened down there definitely long enough. So if you listen to the podcast, thank you very much. If you enjoy what we're doing, then do please leave a rating and review. It just helps the good word of my speakers appear higher up in the Google searches. Um, and then without further ado, I shall bring up Dr. Max Packett. Hey, how are you doing, Max? Hey, Matt, how's it going? Thanks for the uh, thanks for the intro there. Um, I'm, I'm I'm glad to be the uh, the first person in the uh, after the hiatus of, of Run, Chat, Run Chat Live. Oh, um, mate, no, there's no doubt about it. Um, I I I um, I'm sorry that it's taken this long to get round to you for Run Chat Live, but um, you can imagine back in 2019 there was so much going on and things changing, and and yeah, um, it's only because I'd like. 10 speakers to choose at One Chat Live. But following you from then to now, um, I'm really honored that you actually turned around and said, yeah, sure, let's go for it. Yeah, well, thank you. In, thanks for having me, for sure, I appreciate it. Um, although, first of all, and, and it's not just you, all the people I contacted to say, hey, I'm doing a podcast episode on gate analysis, they all came back with a similar reply. I don't remember if what you, you remember what you replied to me, but um, not many of you were kind of initially that keen. Now, I didn't take it personally, but let's just kick off the show saying why why were you kind of mm, it's interesting Matt thanks for the invite but why was there a but yeah yeah <clears throat> well it's funny everybody kind of said the same thing um I think that <clears throat> most scientists um because you, you mentioned Alison Gruber Jeff Sculier and, and Izzy Moore all of us are all of us are scientists Jeff being a, a clinician as well um you know we as you mentioned in the intro, we all follow the science and, and, and as biomechanists who study running science, um, <clears throat> even that, even after 50 plus years of, of research, we're still struggling to identify specific, you know, factors, biomechanical factors that are important in, uh, in, in, in guiding, you know, um, clinical practice. Um, so without, without knowing exactly what causes injuries and, and, and what, helps with rehabilitation it's hard to it's hard to be excited all the time right about about gait analysis when we don't quite know what exactly we're trying to improve for what reasons um not to say that there's no value just from a, from a research standpoint sometimes it's a little you know it's, it's, a bit, it's a bit difficult when someone comes up to us and say oh you're a biomechanist you do running stuff um you know how can i change my form and could you analyze me so that I can not get injured or get better, right? And that's always the, I mean, that's the that's the question that I wish we could all answer. But unfortunately, we don't have these, you know, clear cut answers um, and solutions. So that's probably why there was a bit of, um, you know, hesitancy from from all of us. I would I would guess. That's fine. Now it's a healthy hesitancy, and I asked for it because I was looking for people who are evidence informed, evidence based, which doesn't <laughs> mean that we only do what has been confirmed by research, because we would be doing very little if that was the case. <laughs> but it's people who are, who are aware and followed it for a while, and yeah, they fall into the same camp. We probably don't know as much as we used to, like ten years ago. Talking of which, when did you first? Do you remember when you first used gait analysis and what capacity it was? Yeah, I know exactly the first time I've I've done it. Um, I <clears throat> kind of a it took me a while to, to realize I was doing it, but I realized when I started, you know, becoming a biomechanist. But there's two examples that I remember concretely, and and when I was a child, um, I, I I didn't have great vision. I didn't know that obviously, you know, when you're a kid, and you don't really know. I mean, I was passing my test, but long long vision. I was struggling a little bit. Uh, until I got to university where the the, lar the large classrooms made me realize I couldn't see the slides, right? But 
I would identify my mother in, in the, you know, at the market, or at the grocery store by how she walked mostly. Right. And so that's probably the first time, you know, that I can remember me doing a gait analysis is just observing my mother from far away. Hey, does it, there's my mom over there. Right. I can notice how she walked. And so um, that would be, you know, a, a very non-scientific, but certainly a, 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 a gait analysis. And then uh, in high school, I had a really good high school teacher that um, that taught us sort of a, a health science class. And as part of that, we did do we can do a project. And my project uh, as a high school track athlete was to do a gate analysis on on some runners. So I would I would have my <clears throat> camcorder. This is in the this is in the mid late nineties, and I would have a camcorder. I'd go to track meets, and I would you know record runners or, or athletes, and and, and then you know, do a little report on that. Um, and I would do my research on the internet at the time that was, it was kind of new, but I would, could find some details on, on biomechanics and I would try to analyze, uh, the data and, and, and compare it to performance. And, and, you know, that was probably my, my first real running gait analysis, but before that was my, was my mother's gate in the grocery store. That's a great answer. I think that's the earliest that any guest has ever told me that they did their first gate analysis. I can't imagine that ever being beaten, but it's true. Yeah, yeah it's true. Um, yeah. And maybe that's where part of the fascination comes from. As kids, we do, we are at that level, aren't we? We're kind of on knee thigh level. So that's our yeah, exactly. of the world. Height, so yeah. I've never thought of that before. Yeah. Um, so back when you mentioned you were looking at um, other uh, college athletes and runners, do you remember back then what you were looking for? Was it stuff which now, once you looked heav more heavily into the research, you're kind of doing less of, or were you always kind of tuned in with what the research was saying? Yeah, hundred percent. I was, I was way off, of course, at the time, right? Uh, and, and, and not, I wasn't way off in the sense that, you know, I, I, I was modeling my thought of good biomechanics based on the best in the world, right? So I would, I would watch a video, at a, at a, at the time was, was, uh, was Golden League. Now it's Diamond League events. And I would look at Kenny Sabikele or, you know, I'm from Canada. So I would, I would watch Kevin Sullivan compete, um, uh, 1500 meter runner for Canada at the time. And, um, you know, I would, I would say, okay, well, it, they're obviously the best. So I need to, to, to compare the athletes that I'm videoing at, at the high, this high school track meet. And then based on what I think is, uh, you know, an elite performer, then I, you know, that that's good. And then everything else is bad. So I would try to, see who's compares the most to them that was the approach right which of course now we know um that's not necessarily the case because of there's so much variation in, in gait uh and in, in the biomechanics of elite performers even so um yeah that's why I, I say i was i was a bit i was quite off then uh thinking that that model was the correct way to analyze gait that's that's so interesting because if you had to describe the average, I don't know about elites, because I only really now work with recreational runners, but if you had to describe the biggest mistake recreational runners make and still make, so we're mm -hmm. talking 30 plus years afterwards, is they are still doing that. They're thinking sure. that they need to be running, even like a sprinter. There's these fantastic photos of sprinters and there's marathon runners thinking, that's, I need to, my heels right. are coming out that high. Or, and that's one of the biggest problems, isn't it? It's kind of good. I was talking about this the other day um, with somebody. It's kind of good because it, can give us a living. We've got the biggest population of injured athletes out there ever. The injury prevalence is far higher probably than any other sport, but it it creates a lot of walls and and kind of layers we got to peel off um, and surprises um, for them, um, which even then we're not very sure. We can tell them what it's not, but we're not that good at being able to tell them what it is. Um, yeah. Do you find is that still a struggle for you in your capacity today? Is it getting out of re-educating runners more than anything else? It is. Um, I, I struggle with this internally because, you know, people in my circles, whether it's local runners or friends or, or even people from, you know, the Internet, Twitter or something, I get emails from people and it's like, hey, you know, you, you do running biomechanics. And, and, and I guess the assumption is that because this is what I do for a living, that I have I can fix anything right running related wise like in terms of improving performance and or reducing risks of injuries. Um, and so I, what, the reason why I say I'm struggling internally is because, you know, my answer is, well, you know, you're, there's probably, there's a lot of reasons why I probably can't really help you become a better runner. And, and the primary reason is because you probably don't run enough or, or something like this, right. In the first place. Um, or I, re I really can't 
help you with your injury one because i'm not a clinician and so i can't legally you know provide medical advice and, and, and whatnot i can i can help you with i could help you with form if if i had a really good sense of of how i could make you faster um and now it depends on the person if if, if it's a person who 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 is very very novice to running often you can change a few things right with a few cues and whatnot um, but at the higher level, it's really hard to, to, to provide feedback. I mean, I say higher level, I don't mean like Olympic level. I mean, even like a decent high school runner, um, who's still developing, but you know, is running with what they have, right. With their, with their anatomy. Uh, it's really hard to, to really effectively change their mechanics. Um, and that's aside from not knowing exactly what, factor for them would improve the thing that they're trying to improve. And so it's, you know, I, I always feel so I, I often feel like I'm a fraud, right? Because I'm like, I, if I can't help you as a running biomechanics expert, like, what am I doing? Right? Uh, and so I, I say this somewhat, you, you know, facetiously here, but um, I, yeah, it, it's it's certainly something that that you kind of struggle with a little bit. And I'm sure others would, would, would say the same, you know, because we're, we're expected to have the answers. Oh, without a doubt and it's and it's so i love it when my guests you're not alone because i think many guests i've had have talked about kind of some form of imposter syndrome because everyone expects you to have the answers and you haven't mm -hmm. i think one of the struggles for professionals like ourselves is being at peace with the fact that we don't have all the answers and not feeling that we have to treat mm -hmm. you know our yeah. clients like cars where you have got a book and you can fix everything yeah. and get it running again sure. you know because yeah. humans aren't like that are they Yep. So sometimes, it's nice. It's nice to hear you say that. And sometimes it would be great to have that at times, right? Just a very simple follow the rules. But but then at that point, like there would be a lot of experts, right? It would be it would be almost it would be almost too easy. And unfortunately, there are people that do follow these pretty rigid rules, um, which is, hey, I have you see an Instagram video that says click here for all the secrets to better running form. Right. And I'm thinking, OK, you know. Uh, how many people are clicking this link out of the 500,000 followers this person has, you know, a good amount likely. Um, so it's really hard to kind of, you know, really disseminate science and, and, and evidence and, and, and knowledge um, when we're fighting with, with these, with these entities, I'll call them that, that you have a big pull uh, in the audience. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the secrets of the hip flexor, how to become a great runner in five weeks. It's all about yeah. hip flexor, everything. But yeah, no, but it's really nice for you to hear that. And um, I'm sure therapists listening to this, particularly less experienced therapists, will will enjoy the fact that even someone of your knowledge and your experience is saying things like that. So that's great. So before we get into what you believe we can use gait analysis for, a lot of thinking of runners in particular, and some therapists maybe, they still see gait analysis as a way of prescribing shoes. And a lot of runners will say, that's you know the number one reason they're picking up the phone is I wanna check that these shoes are working well for me. How do you sit on that? Do you still have people who are looking at using the treadmill to, to prescribe shoes? Do you have a lot of still stores around you? I'm not sure what it's like. You're down in, where, where are you talking from? Yeah, we're, uh, I'm, in, I'm in Memphis, Tennessee. And yeah, we, yeah. we do have stores in town. We have local stores and, and, and chains that, that sell footwear for, for running. Um, are they still talking do, about overpronation? Just out of interest? I don't know what it's like in where you are. Is overpronation? Yeah, I don't know. I, I certainly think it, so. Luckily, I mean, I, I, I'm friends with a lot of the people that, that run, you know, running stores. And, 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 and you know, from what I understand, uh, it has changed. It has improved uh, in that. I'm not sure the term overpronation is being used very much anymore, which at least around me, which is which is good here in, in, in Memphis. I think I, I, I still think that some of those sort of the screenings, if you will, of the of the foot type and and, and anatomy or, or during walking, you know, uh, to 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 decide at least the direction of, of, of the shoe that that might be prescribed the type of shoe or, or characteristic of the shoe. Um, you know, I, and so how I feel about that is a good question. I think, you know, it's it's easy to be critical of of footwear uh, shoe shoe stores and that in that uh, you know we could say because a lot of them will come back and say, well, you know, we've been doing this for twenty years and, and and we have seen success. We have seen people come in with pain, and then we give them a shoe, and then they come back and tell us, hey, we haven't had any pain, and 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 
that's possible. And, and, I, and I certainly think it's possible, but, but I also think we remember those situations more than the bad situations, right? The person that has pain doesn't come back likely. And so we basically, you know, there's a bit of an observation bias there and that we only observe the positive outcomes. And so the people that do improve, they do come back, but the ones that don't, they probably don't come back. So we never know. Right. So it's hard to really differentiate between what's really working and, 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 and what are we not hearing about? Um, so in terms of prescribing shoes based on, let's say, pronation or things like that for uh, asymptomatic or uninjured runners that just come in and, hey, I want to start running, like what kind of shoes should I should I bring on? I think that's tough. I, I think there's really no evidence there to, to suggest that we should use shoe type or foot type, sorry, to um, to to identify which which footwear shoe might be better to start. Um I think to start, the bigger issue is just, you know, starting correctly, you know, whatever that might be for the person, depending on their background and their training experience and so on and so forth. Um, but certainly, you know, there is there is some value in, in, in man, I'll, I'll use the word managing symptoms in, in those with, um, with injuries, uh, using footwear, different characteristics. I think, I think most would agree there. The research on that is difficult to do, right? Because you have to have a very specific injury or, or symptom and then address, you know, or, 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 or use a strategy with a shoe um, that is specific. And so it's really hard to control that. Um, but I, I have seen, I have seen uh, a lot of folks have success by prescribing or using, you know, what I'll call management strategies while a patient is working on a rehabilitation protocol that we know uh, is more likely to work. Sure, it'll take more time, but in the meantime, so you can continue running a little bit, here's a footwear uh, adjustment or modification that might help you, right? Um, for example, I, I've been dealing with this soleus uh, problem for, for a while now, and it, it's sporadic. It comes back for a few weeks, maybe twice a year, and I'm, I'm in the middle of one right now. And... Uh, you know, I, I, I'm conscious of it and I'm, I, I, right now I can't run yet. It's really that painful, but, um, I, I would, you know, I, I will do things to minimize, you know, pain when I'm getting back into it, as I do my strengthening work and all this. And, and I'll, I will put on, I will put in heel lifts. I will use a shoe that has a, a more curved sole, uh, uh, to, 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 yeah, more curved sole to the shoe just to try to minimize sort of uh, um, stress on the Achilles tendon. And, and as a result, of course, the, uh, the the muscles that are attached with soleus being the one that is annoying me at the moment. So, yeah, I think in that standpoint, there's value. But from a from a out, you know, no symptoms, asymptomatic, I think it's tough to justify uh, suggesting shoes based on anatomy at the, at the moment. Fantastic. Yeah, some great information there. Um, yeah, I'm sorry to hear about the Soleus thing. First of all, that must uh, that must <laughs> not being able to run, especially for someone with your history. Um, yeah, yeah I, I was reading. There's a nice. Uh, you've done papers with um, Rich Willie before, mm -hmm. um, and he is producing some lovely um, kind of. Uh, it's probably seen him on Instagram from Montana running. Yeah, yeah. How great, to great make gate modifications to yep. stress the plantar flexors more and less. And, I, and Richard, I was trying to get on here as well, but he's very busy and stuff. And but he's been emailing me, and I've been asking him questions. And um, so it must be lovely yep. to to work with him. Um, yeah, so Rich is fantastic. Yeah, and, and all the folks that are coming on next, I've worked with all of them in some capacity. Allison, Izzy, and, and JF. I think mm -hmm. they're all. I mean, it's a very tight knit, I would say, group in this field. Um, so everyone knows each other, and so it's it's uh, it's 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 nice to have these colleagues that are all doing the same work. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, with that in mind, actually, um, so that people, because you've made a lot, you've said a lot, which to me, obviously, I'm going, yes, yes, this is fantastic. I'm loving this. But for people who maybe you, you, you could have said 20 things in the last half hour, people are going, what? And it's like a shock. So I quite like to delve into some of the research you've done. Mm -hmm. um, I'm always telling therapists to have a little look at research gate and search a name rather than just hearing a guest look them up see what sort of thing they've done so i did that on um research gate for your good self i'm going to bring it up and make it a little bit bigger so that people can actually see mm -hmm. it we can still hear you behind here yeah obviously you've got your i think there was 111 or something um currently publications there and they stretch back to i think 2008 or even maybe something before so it's a long mm -hmm. time so you must have seen lots of things come and go but yeah i would encourage people if you listen to this and you want to hear a bit more about 
Max Paquette. And like I say, I'm hoping you've never heard of Dr. Max Paquette before because this is going to be new to you. So just go to ResearchGate and um, type in the name and you'll see all the papers that um, Max has been involved in. I've just put on the screen here um, the last three. Actually, if I just get rid of that band at the bottom so we can actually see the last one. Uh, let's hide that. There you go. So just to give a little idea of what you're about and, and what you are doing currently, mm -hmm. uh, for people listening to the podcast, you can't see this, but the the latest paper I saw on there, I'm not sure if you're working on anything at the moment, but there was the influence of surface and speed, sorry, surface and speed on biomechanical external loads obtained from wearable devices in rear foot strike runners. So that's straight away very exciting because we've got this kind of debate of like, you know, foot strike and we've got the, the difference between the, the surface people are running on and there's the word biomechanical, which gets people very excited. But what basically was that about and what were you looking in? And I know it's difficult to, summar to summarize, but... Yeah, tell us a little bit about that study. Yeah, sure. I, I mean, all, all the studies that we do now in the lab uh, that are running related, I try to we try to come up with questions that for which the answers are 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 answering some kind of overarching, you know, question that has been asked overall, like in the running community, not just in a really tight knit sort of scientific niche situation, right? So you know, following conversations with coaches and, and Twitter conversations and conferences and, and coaching conferences and, and athletes. And so just really trying to gather information to figure out what do people want to know and, and why and, and 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 what's the most useful type of, you know, out, outcomes that, that we could we could share that, that that help people out, at least at least bridge some gaps here and there. So a lot of these studies, I, I'll say that, you know, they've they're often, you know, um, uh, led by really, really great masters uh, and PhD students uh, within our within our laboratory, and so this particular study uh, that was that was the uh, master's thesis for Adriana Miltko, uh, who uh, was a master's student here in our program, uh, and also a runner as well. Uh, Adriana uh, posed the question whether or not um, you know speed and, and, and different surfaces. Uh, would influence some variables that are external to the body, not being you know bone, bone or other tissue uh, forces, but you know accelerations uh, of the tibia, for example, uh, uh, forces underneath the foot during running, um, and 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 specifically, uh, we recorded all these measurements based using equipment that is wearable and, and wireless, so that we could we could these could be tracked by other people as well outside of a laboratory setting. And, and so the services that we that we studied were a, a treadmill, which was a, which was a, a commercially available techno gym treadmill, uh, a, a patch of, of, of fairly well mount, uh, a manicured grass uh, on a soccer pitch, uh, and then a rubber track, and finally uh, a concrete uh, surface, uh, basically a, a concrete path. And uh, you know, there's been if you if you talk to a coach or a runner, often they'll say, "Hey, let's go run on some on some dirt trail or, or grass or something like that. It's better for you, right? It's it's lower, it's less impact or whatever they, term they might use in that sense." And, and that's that's in their mind better for training. And, and so there's reasons why that is not true. But aside from that, you know, just trying to identify if this is true, we we you know, Ajana uh, set out and, and did the study and what it and what. What came out of it was it didn't matter what surface the, the runners ran on. Um, the acceleration of the tibia right immediately following foot contact with the ground uh, was not different between surfaces um, and, and nor were um, vertical force variables. So the amount of force that, that moves up onto your foot uh, using a, 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 an insole um, inside the shoe and also how quickly that force goes up. None of those things were, were, any, were any different between surfaces. Uh, just suggesting that the surface does not, you know, uh, influence these these external factors um, or measurements that that we often or that that watch companies or or foot pods or uh, other wearable technologies use to track, you know, uh, uh, biomechanics of the body while running. None of those none of those things were affected by surface. Um, of course, speed when you ran faster, generally speaking, these the magnitude of these variables you know went up because when you go faster, there's a higher mechanical demand. But surface had no uh, bearing on that. So, conclusion is basically in terms of those variables, the external these external variables on the body, really surface is not a, a factor that that at least these surfaces didn't influence these these variables. Um, so, a really nice applied study that that was 
uh, a lot of work, but um, you know, quite valuable. Very interesting. Did you did you? It was with rear, rear foot strike runners. Was that just because you wanted to select and keep that variable consistent? Yeah, good. Yeah, I forgot. I forgot to, to address that. I, I forgot that you asked that earlier. But the one of the big issues in running biomechanics research is that we often pool a lot of people together, which is great because you know it. The, the you can you can apply you can generalize the findings to more people, right? But one of the one of the issues with that is when we're trying to identify mechanisms for injury or, or what have you, um, if we don't account for certain variables, foot strike pattern being one, sometimes things get a bit blurry. And, and we know that strike pattern, whether you hit the ground with your heel or hit the ground with your, your flat footed or make a midfoot or a, toward the fore part of your foot, that style of running, different styles of running uh, influence a lot about mechanical variables, especially at the ankle and the knee. And so if, if we don't account for that, it's really hard to, to, uh, to you know, have a good conclusion. And so when you go from track to grass to, to, to concrete, often, you know, you may, you may be less likely to, to, to move a certain way on grass versus concrete. So we wanted to make sure that we had people that were running, uh, you know, with the, with the heel strike pattern across all surfaces so that we could say that, you know, the, what we're finding is the result of surfaces, not a change in strike pattern. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, now, when you do that, when you change your strike pattern, of course, it, it modifies the variables a bit. Uh, and, and that's an important thing to consider as well. But um, it blurs the results of surface, right? Um, so that's the reason why we chose only rear foot strikers. And I think the next logical step in a study like this would be to then add a, a forefoot striking group as well, or a non-rear foot striking group, and then you know, compare the results. And, and I would, I would be hard pressed to, to, to say that there would be major differences. I don't think it would be that different. We know that some of the force would be a bit lower possibly in, in, the, in the four foot strike runners, but um, I'm not sure why surface would change uh, those results very much. Fascinating. But I guess what, what isn't being looked at in this study is which tissues are, are dealing with that force. Exactly. It's going to change, isn't it? And whether the runner, individual runner is equipped genetically or just through training to deal with those forces or not, which might explain why some people yeah. injure and others don't. I um, think so. I, I do also think, though, that generally speaking, if, if the force, if the kinematics, the acceleration and the force doesn't change a whole lot, you know, it, I, I don't see why, you know, the various stresses on different tissues would change too much, right? If we were cha- if we were seeing you know uh, a change from a rear foot or a heel striker to a forefoot striker, then yeah, then we have you know reason to believe that the the stresses on tissues is is moving around. But in a when when the way that you run is pretty set and the surface doesn't change your 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 motions and the, and or the forces, then I think you it's pretty safe to say that given that the speed is constant that the loads on the tissues are not changing either very much, right? Um, yeah. Interesting. Oh, I've got so many questions I want to ask <laughs> you about this skate analysis. I want to talk about muscle stiffness. I want to talk about how that compares to kind of work they've done on, on you know, changes in muscle stiffness, whether you're landing on a hard or soft surface yeah. and sure, Ivy, sure, sure. Davis's stuff and all that. Yeah, but we're not yeah. going to, because we're going to get analysis. We're staying on getting analysis. For yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> we could go down a rabbit hole and go yeah. on forever. So, um, so yeah, Gates, I mean, we mentioned a lot of stuff. For example, foot strike recovered. A lot of runners, um, especially recreational runners. Um, well, I say that because I know what recreational runners generally talk about. One of the things they'll come, runners love walking through the door or on the phone, they'll tell you what's wrong with them, when they? They'll say, I overpronate, or they'll say, yeah. I know I'm a heel striker, that's why I've got this pain. So let's look at running performance, first of all. Is there any advantage just for pure running performance, do you think, of seeing someone's foot strike on a treadmill and being able to freeze it, look at it, put some angles in there, compare it? What do you say to that? Yeah, uh, I, the short answer is, is probably not uh, uh, in terms of, of, of performance, right? So Alison Gruber is coming on, uh, I believe, next or, or maybe mm-hmm. the next one. Uh, she has done a good amount of work on, on trying to 
she's reviewed the literature on what's been done, but has also done a lot of that work that as, that she's then reviewed. Um, and, and you know, the main conclusion is that from a performance standpoint, there's really no there's no evidence to suggest that a, a strike pattern is is, is superior than another. Um, and that's that's just you know because often people choose a way to run because it's it's the way that they run, right? It's how they're put together. Um, some might say this is sort of your God-given, you know, anatomy or or or, or structure, and, and so you deal with with that. Um, and and case in point, if you watch, you know, some of the best marathon runners in the world, you're going to see a, a a bag of different types of strike patterns in there, right? Not just strike patterns, but just running form in general. You know, it's going to be quite variable. So these are the best in the world, right? And, and so if the best in the world are quite variable among themselves, right? Um, then I don't, I don't see why, why we would want to try to, to make minuscule adjustments in strike pattern in a, in a, in a recreational runner, for example, or a fitness runner um, in a gate analysis in a lab from a performance standpoint. Um, yeah. Great answer. You say it and it, and it sounds, and it makes so much sense, but the <laughs> running community yeah, I, mean, I still I don't know whether you avoid it. You're a sen more sensible man than me if you do. But I do kind of hang out in the shadows of these running communities because they're kind of 5000 strong and they're talking mm -hmm. every single second of the day. Um, but that's the topic of conversation. It's like, yeah. I'll check whether you're a four foot runner. If you're not, if you land on your heel, that's dangerous. And, and also you've got people like Joe Rogan. I don't know if you follow Joe Rogan. Actually, it was a while ago now. He's talking to Eddie Izzard or something. Oh, yeah, that's the problem. If you're landing on your heel and that's what these shoes do. And it was all just like. Yeah, yeah, I actually made a little kind of video afterwards and put it out there thinking Joe might see it. Obviously not. But just saying, no, Joe, Joe, you're wrong. Check your facts, man. Just pausing it. And stuff. Well, that's a good point, right? I mean, that's that's kind of what we discussed earlier is, is these figures that have large followings uh, can say whatever they want because mm -hmm. the average consumer of information does doesn't have the training to decipher what's what's BS and what's what's accurate or what's what's evidence based. Right. So I think. You know, I, you, you, you might, you might know, uh, there, there, there's a, there's a, there's a physio in, in the UK, uh, you know, slight, I would say I, I appreciate it, but I think possibly slightly controversial is, is that Adam Meekins and his, and, and, his videos, and his videos on, uh, on silly BS on the internet. Um, mm. I think that's basically the, that's the, I mean, that's the gist of it, right? It's just people saying stuff. They got a lot of followers and, you know, your your aunt who just started running two years ago sees that and she doesn't know any better. So they'll go on Facebook groups and and they'll say, hey, yeah, uh, I have a high school runner who, who has bad knee pain for, for two years. This is a high school runner. So you're thinking right away, OK, maturation, puberty, growth spurts. And they're like, yeah, get these shoes, get change their strike pattern. You know, just this the stuff that just doesn't make any sense, really. Um, but if you don't know any better, that's what you that's what you go off of. And so it's not surprising. Yeah. Yeah, it's very tricky. And I don't know what it's like in the in the in the States or in Canada, but very often on social media here, you'll get a well-known athlete, maybe yeah. retired athlete, but they've got so much following and they'll be talking. I mean, I work a lot with sports massage therapists and the athlete be saying, oh, one thing which I always used and helped me from race to race was getting a pummeling by my um, the massage therapist. And yeah. Paula Radcliffe was famous for taking more pain than any other athlete. And yeah. athletes think this is the secret to becoming a great runner. If I want to be like Paula, I've got yeah. to grip my teeth and just let them hurt me and we know that that doesn't necessarily always work yeah but um yeah it's very tricky anyway let's not be too cynical let's not let's not um let's talk about what you find gait analysis can help with i mean there is some research out there which still kind of stands pretty proud and we see it in clinic work with some runners some of the time and i'm interested to see whether there's any areas you do find that it's worth putting a run on the clinical, particularly let's talk about running injury. I know performance is tricky because everyone's different, but when it comes to someone who's injured and they're coming in, yeah. what sort of tricks would you do with the treadmill then? Yeah, I, I, I think that's the key piece, right? I, I, I think when you're looking at a, a asymptomatic, uninjured, healthy person, I think we're all hard pressed to, 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 to be confident in saying, well, I say that it happens all the time, but a person who follows the evidence would be hard pressed to say, I can I can change how you're running and and somehow make you less injury prone because you're not injured. So I, you know what I mean, like you mm. further reduce your risk of injuries uh, and possibly improve your performance. I think most people don't really 
most people, again, who, who, who follow the evidence aren't really following that aspect. Um, some people do it anyway, but uh, the different story from a from a treating uh, a symptomatic runner or a person that has come back from an injury. I think that's a bit different, and, and I think there is value certainly in in, in monitoring um, gait, you know, mechanics uh, or doing some gait analyses in, in runners in, in that sense. Um, but it's also challenging because you don't know are they are they moving a certain way because of symptoms and, and basically avoiding um, certain movements because of symptoms. And then as a result, you're trying to treat something that isn't really a mechanical problem. It's, it's, a, it's more of a behavioral or, 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 or sort of, you know, psychological problem in avoiding fear, right? Because it, it's, it's painful. So you have to deal with that. And so you make yourself move differently to avoid the pain. And so do you treat that, right? Like, do you, do you try to change that? And that might be a problem because if you if you make them run the way that, let's say symmetrically, then there may be um, symptoms. And of course, they don't want to have pain. So, but they want to run, which is the challenge. Is is you want to run, but if you run, it hurts. But you know now you're moving a different way. And there's arguments about when people change how they run to avoid pain. You know, it's this this. Um, uh, this, this compensation that might lead to higher stresses somewhere else. And then the person then get, has pain there and, and so on. So I think we have to be very careful with symptoms. Um, but I'll give you an example that, that I used um, in a fairly good, I mean, at the time, you know, he's no longer in high school, but a really good high school runner went on to run a college university and he had had uh, bilateral stress fractures, um, you know, when he was very young, like in grade nine. And I started coaching him. When I started coaching him was the day after his his uh, his boots came off, right? Uh, and, and of course, I wasn't making him run at the time, but we were working with a physical therapist or physiotherapist to kind of, you know, rehab his atrophy and, and, and kind of slowly get back and introducing running and, and, and hopping and skipping and things like that. And once, you know, several months down the line when he was back to more regular running, um, I I noticed a, a bit of a hitch in his in his run, and what I mean by that is he would sort of fall on one side, would collapse on one side, right, quite a bit. And uh, of course, I, I had not seen him run before when he was healthy because I had just started coaching him, you know, when he came out of the orthopedic boots. So I had to go back and watch video of him running as a younger athlete pre-injury, um, knowing that he had gone injured after those videos. So you know, did he get injured because of the way he was running then? And why should I try to emulate what he was doing before? Um, but I was just trying to see, what, did he have a hitch in his stride before he, he got hurt? And so why would I go, why would I fix it kind of thing? Or possibly I should fix it. So all these questions were kind of going around my head. And, you know, it turns out, you know, he had had two stress fractures on one side. Uh, and and I, hadn't, I didn't know that he had a stress fracture earlier and so he just, he was very weak on the one leg, you know? And so he would land, you know, especially when he was running faster, he would land and, and sort of collapse a bit more. And, and so, um, yeah, we, the, in this case, that was the gait analysis, right? That was just observing and comparing and then trying to figure out why. Um, and then the problem was fairly simple to solve in this case, which is rare, of course, as you know, as a, as a physio, it's, it's hard to often solve these issues, but it was a question of just, loading uh, the one side a little more uh, in some of the exercises he was doing in strength training. Um, and, and, and then and then some instructions, right? Just trying to, in video and, and showing him play back. And, you know, it's weird to, when you, and he wasn't feeling it, right? He wasn't, he wasn't feeling himself running differently. You know, he, he didn't feel that when he was running. So it was a question of showing him and making him, you know, um, sort of instructing him while doing drills, um, form drills, and and then you know continuing to do that and reinforcing you know the, those instructions and cues to to be and and I used with him he was a you know smart kid and I, I used you know, sort of the term stiffness and, and trying not to collapse so basically just to kind of not allow himself to fall while doing drills and that did eventually as he got stronger translate to not not falling while running so that that took a while though I mean that took several months you know mm -hmm. maybe a year in fact. Um, but that's really the, the the one example that that I've that I've seen uh, where I've used gait analysis 
uh, uh, to, to change something like really that was obvious. Um, now I, I often with new runners, you know, um, that are just starting to run, you know, it's hard to describe it, but sometimes you can see something that's a bit that, that I might feel like, um, is, um, hindering their, their, their forward movement or their progress, right? Sometimes it's things like, you know, when a kid starts to run fast, they lean back, right? I don't think there's a reason to believe it would cause injury, but it's certainly from a physics and mechanics standpoint, if you're leaning back, then you have to step forward. And so you're probably breaking a bit more. So in those cases, I think cues are pretty important and, and, and possibly quite valuable to improve performance or, or something along those lines by, you know, cueing to lean forward a bit more and thinking about that a bit more. Um, but in this case, notice that as an, as a, as a biomechanics PhD, never have I used instruments, right. To do these gait analyses. It's always been my eyes. Um, and, and so I think that's a, an important piece here is that we can fix a lot of things often if we're aware of a prior problem and we have a, a specific reason to want to change things. And in this case, using sort of concepts in physics and you know, Newton's laws and, you know, it's not gonna, it, 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 this can't be useful to lean back. Right. So um, again, I, I wish going back to our, our, my comment earlier, I wish I had a, a bit more, um, you know, fancy answer or fancy gate analysis I had done with fancy equipment. Uh, but most of the equipment we use for research um, primarily uh, and so, uh, in fact, I've, we used to offer running analyses in, in our lab and I, I, after a while decided, you know, I, I just don't feel comfortable in providing, in providing feedback and, and, um, when, when there's really no problem to deal with, you know? So, yeah. That's great. Now that the examples you've given of, of will, will allow people listening to think, you know, loads outside the box and they've been, they've been really good. I'm interested, for example, when you saw this hitch and the hip drop kind of thing, could you have seen that, do you think, if you were just watching him running, or was it him? It was a guy, was it? Him, yeah. Was, yeah. Oh, yeah. When he was running around the track, if he was just doing kind of to and go, would you spot it? Or did it help having him on a treadmill in an isolated place where nothing else was kind of disturbing you? So he was never on a treadmill. It was always at the track or, right. or at the field. So I, I noticed that when he was running really slow or really fast, I would notice it more. And then there was, there was a sweet spot there in the middle, you mm -hmm. know, where he was, I really didn't see that which is a strange thing. So, you know, you can see when you're running slow, you spend a lot of time on the ground um, in low force, but more mm -hmm. more time on the ground. When you're really fat, when you're sprinting, you require a lot of force. And somewhere in the middle, it was kind of a sweet spot where somehow the issue that was causing, you know, this hitch at the slow and fast speeds wasn't as big an issue then. Um, so I would observe a lot and, and make, you know, try to sort of help him work on that so was that with your eyes as he was running around or were you filming it and then watched back the video well i i, I would show him videos of himself but i would notice okay. with my eyes of course and, and yeah, film yeah. to show him uh yeah. up with instructions but yeah i mean all of this was always uh visual yeah mm -hmm. always yeah do you think if because not all therapists have got the luxury of kind of having a track or they're not kind of that they're working from a little clinic or something. Do you think if they'd come in and the therapist had watched him run and put them at different speeds, then they would have picked yeah. up on that drop? I yeah. think so, I, and I think that's a, to the, the the story of the the uh, the story I just mentioned. I think one of the takeaways there is that you know often in clinic, if you have the time, I would certainly and and, and if the symptoms aren't limiting, mm -hmm. um, certainly would would when you perform when you're when you're trying to monitor something visually, um, I mean, don't be afraid to change speeds, right? Mm -hmm. You know, a simple question is, you know, what's your typical warm up speed? You know, when you go for a warm up, what's your speed? Okay, use that speed. What's your typical, you know, some distance race pace or race speed? And then use that. And what's your, then you can kind of find percentages off of that and, and, and see if it changes. And so, mm. um, yeah, and, and this might not help directly because you might say, oh, well, the problem is at this speed. So don't run at this speed. I'm not saying to do that, of course, but at least you can focus your, your tracking at the speed that is, you know, seemingly causing or, or where you're seemingly observing larger differences or larger changes. I'm interested also, what, do you know what cues you used to try and modify his gait? Yeah. So first I had to explain to him what was going on uh, just to, to know, are you feeling this? Do you feel like you're moving this way? And the answer was no, I don't, I, I don't realize mm -hmm. I'm doing that. Okay. 
So right away, I know that me telling him what to do won't help because he's not feeling it, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So then um, this is where I think, you know, form drills come in handy uh, because you can isolate something and you can slow everything down. It's Mm -hmm. sometimes hard for a person to follow instructions when they're running um, because, you know, you've got this ingrained pattern and it's hard Mm -hmm. to change that. But when you're doing drills, whether it's, you know, skips or, or, you know, I'm not sure how familiar that this audience might be, but, you know, things like, like age, a skips or B skips Mm -hmm. or or butt kicks or other types of drills that have to do with mobility or, or, or athleticism. Um, You know, I use those drills as, as an opportunity for, for cueing, not so much, knowing that the drills will help them run better. It's a warm up in my mind, right? Mm-hmm. Use these drills to warm up, provide a slightly different loading stimulus because they do side to side motions as well and jumps and skips and all that. Um, but I use that time during the warm up to provide cueing uh, in those runners uh, that, that might, that might benefit from some cueing. And then, mm-hmm. then you can, when they start a session, then you can, cause I, I coach as well, which is why I'm saying, I, you know, I have the luxury of being able to see them from warm up to, to session to cool down and, and everything. Mm-hmm. So um, that helps. And so I can, I can make adjustments, you know, and, and talk to them through that uh, in warm ups, um, which helps quite a bit. And are you big on, I'm not quite sure how hot it is these days, but I remember a while ago, there was this whole debate of internal cues and external cues and, yeah. and trying to get the runner not to think too much about what their body is doing, but give them some kind of metaphor or something to concentrate on. Is that kind of coming to play when you're giving out cues and drills or are you not so worried about? Yeah, I mean, like everyone's different, right? So mm. I think it's a question of communicating with a, with a, with a patient or an athlete and, and figuring out what they understand. If I'm talking to an athlete who's, who, who maybe has a biomechanics background, then of course the, the cueing is different and the strategy mm-hmm. is different with the high school runner who's just starting out, you know, it, it, it might not be, it might not work out the same. So, you know, it might be quite different. Um, so yeah, I think it's just a question of, of, of individual preference, but yeah, sure, certainly internal external cues have a, a, a huge space in the skill acquisition, mortal learning, uh, mm-hmm. realm. Um, and that's certainly not my expertise, but I, I just try to make sure that I want to confirm that, when I'm spending time cueing someone, they understand. And I'm not just assuming that they understand, right? Um, that's that's the most important piece. Good answer. Yeah. See yeah. what the individual wants to give them what's supposed to be best. Um, we're running out of time and I've got so much I could keep asking. I really appreciate that these answers are excellent. Um, I wanted to hit you with cadence because that's something which a lot of people play around with. It's a variable which which seems to be quite attractive. Do you muck around with cadence much? Do you find that it helps maybe if you're offloading something or, for example, with you and your Soleus, have you found that changing cadence can help at all and yeah. kind of offload the plantar flexes? Yeah, I think the, the research on, on, on cadence is, 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 is probably probably one of the strongest areas in biomechanics or at least I would say consistent, right? So good evidence on, on uh, modifications in cadence for um, uh, changing location of loading right mm-hmm. um so it goes back to the management situation earlier um you know there's evidence and izzy moore is an expert in this so she she knows quite a lot uh, She's uh, about modifications in cadence and, and especially from the from the uh, performance economy standpoint so that's an, another a whole other realm that, that I'll, I'll totally leave that to, to her to, to dive into that but yeah i mean you just mentioned you know my my, my plantar flexor issue Obviously, um, there's evidence that taking shorter steps, um, or in other words, increasing cadence, right? More steps per minute. So at a given speed, that means that the steps are shorter, mm-hmm. uh, or I should say a set speed. Um, so then we know from, from evidence, from research from, from, from Rich Willie and John Wilson and others, that when you take shorter steps at a set speed, it, it reduces the, the loads on the Achilles tendon, which is obviously part of the plantar flexors. Uh, <clears throat> so yeah, there's from a management of symptom standpoint, um, up to a certain point, right? Like I, I can tell you right now that a few weeks ago I was out about, you know, two or three kilometers from my house and, and, uh, my soleus kind of really started to hurt badly. And, and, and it, it didn't matter what my cadence was at the time I had to walk. Right. So there's, there's, you know, there's times where it works. There's times where you're, you've reached the threshold of no, no coming back. But, um, yeah, in those instances, for sure. Um, when you want to manage symptoms, and I, I like the term management because it shouldn't be a solution. It shouldn't mm-hmm. be a rehabilitation solution. It should be something 
you do while you're doing something that actually leads to long-term improvements in, in, a, in, a, in tissue damage, like, like strengthening or something along those lines. So it's really just a, I don't want to call it a band-aid effect because, because, or strategy, because it sounds, it has negative connotations. Um, but in a way it's kind of like a, a, you know, it's just managing with a band-aid, you know, while, while you're doing something else, right. You're going to the dog, you, you put a band-aid on to, to, to maybe limit bleeding, but hopefully you get stitches, you know, soon. Um, mm -hmm. So that's kind of the idea here. Same concept. No, I like the word. It's good use of the word. And, and I'm interested this, are you interested in always trying to keep the runner running if they can for the whole kind of recovery process of maybe offloading to, do you, do you kind of work with the idea that if I tell this runner to stop running, it, it could start going all wrong because I'm taking more away from them maybe unnecessarily or. Right. Well, you know, it depends, right? So it depends on, it depends on the situation. So I, again, I'm not a clinician, so I'm, I'm lucky to have a really close friend uh, in Mark Temme here. Who's a, a really good physiotherapist. He's from Australia and, but he has been working here in, in Memphis for a long time. And he, I would say he treats the majority of runners here in town. And there's a couple of good physiotherapists in town as well um, that work on runners. Um, but I, I, you know, him and I are, are good sounding boards for each other with strategies and interventions and things. And so depending on the injury, you know, we always, you know, assess based on risk you know so there's different types of there's bone stress injuries tendinopathies you know this and that um and you know even within those injuries bone stress injuries there's higher risk ones and lower risk ones and some of them you can kind of keep running a bit through them and others you just running through them is just silly and dangerous so um you know it depends on the injury uh, but yeah if, if if it's a low risk injury that we're man which we're working on and rehabbing and doing all the right things then managing the symptoms by modificate uh, modif modifying some gait uh, characteristics uh, while we're doing that, then I think there's quite a bit of benefit to keep the athlete mm -hmm. going, even though, and I'll say this right now, even though we know that, you know, short cessations and running training don't really have any, any negative effects on, 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 uh, on fitness, right? But trying to convince a runner to, uh, of that is very difficult, uh, as you know, um, mm. And, and I'm, I'm talking here about metabolic, you know, effects or, or fitness, cardiovascular fitness, not necessarily um, tissue conditioning. Of course, if you don't run, tissues will decondition pretty quickly. And so that's a different, you know, area of discussion. But in general, if you need to take some time off from running and maybe cross train or something like that, um, there's really no harm from a fitness standpoint. So I think that's also important to understand. So you got you to gotta weigh the, the risk and benefits. Yeah, that's a great point. And again, it's education, isn't it? If you can educate or if you can somehow get through to the runner that they're not going to lose all of their fitness and their position and ranking, whatever, if they yeah. take two or three, four weeks off, then maybe the psychosocial effects and which can have an effect on, on them oh, recovery if they get really down. If you can oh, get rid of that, then uh, fantastic. Look, I'm really conscious of the time. <laughs> this is quite torture for me. I really, uh, yeah, I wish I could talk to you for another hour, but I know you're a busy man. It's what time is it where you are? Is it three o'clock now? It's three o'clock. Yeah, I'm about to, when we, when we hang up here, I'm going to grab my backpack and head to the airport and off to uh, track me in Iowa City, Iowa for the weekend fantastic yeah. um so thank you so much for opening up this this series of discussions everything you've said i think i mean you're in a position where you're a coach what you're doing around the track and the the is something which somebody else could probably do on a treadmill if they didn't have you know the accessibility yeah. to a track and stuff for sure so yeah. a lot of what you said even though you're not using it maybe is that because you you know it's, this is a message to all therapists it depends on where you are and what you're doing and your networking yeah. Exactly. So um, there's a lot we can take away from this. If people want to keep in touch with you and see what you're up to, I mean, you do post quite a lot and you're sharing stuff. Where is the best for you? Yeah, Twitter is. I mean, I know Twitter these days seems like it's quieted down a bit, but but um, but I, I still use Twitter fairly regularly, and so I, I'm on there. And um, yeah, you know, people can find my email address on on uh, mm -hmm. on our university website and, and ask questions if needed. I'm always happy to chat about running. And on Twitter, you are bio biomac biomac max uh there's, there's a lot of biomac first names now and, and i don't know if, if if i started the trend or not but either way it's it's simple right you know you're a biomechanist and there's your first name and yeah, i always go by max so it, it avoids any confusion hopefully fantastic right um dr max paquette thank you so much for your time it's been a pleasure talking to you and um if you could just hang around for a second 
I will shut down the live lounge and, and stop the recording. I'll just say thank you to quickly. And um, people who are listening um, to the podcast, thank you so much for joining us. If you do appreciate it, do please leave a review. Like I said at the beginning, um, our next guest will be uh, the marvellous J.F. Escoulier, um, and that's going to be on uh, – um, let's bring it up. I've got it here in the picture just for the visuals. Don't get it wrong. Let's go here, show – J.F. Ascoli is going to be with us on Monday, January the 30th, um, and that will be at the, I think that's a slightly earlier time, the 6 p.m. I think it was, I'll check. But check on the social media, and um, that'll be J.F. Ascoulia. Um, follow me on social media and you'll find it. And after that, we're going to have Alison Gruber, who we mentioned today, and also just found out Izzy Moore is going to be with us at some point as well. So follow us on social media if you're interested in this, and, and do share it with your friends. And it's all about education, myself. I'm sure uh, Max as well. We're just trying to get the good word out there. So what it's all about. We're not making any money from this at all. It's purely just trying to educate runners and help people run happy and stronger and get injured less. So thank you very much, everybody. And hopefully I'll see you next time. You're listening to Run Chat Live podcast, putting the evidence back into running injury and performance.